If you're in a maximum security prison, you're going to maybe end up behaving in one way. If you're in the lobby of the Four Seasons Hotel, you're going to behave in a different way. The emergency department is not a maximum security prison, but it is also not the Four Seasons Hotel. So there's only so many beds, and when you've got lots and lots of patients that you're referring to inpatient, and they're only opening up one or two beds a day, and you've got 10 people, then that's going to lead to waiting. That's what we call boarding, where people are just sitting in the emergency department. They're not getting any psychiatric treatment. They're medically appropriate to go to a psych inpatient unit, but they're just sitting and waiting. And sometimes that's hours, and sometimes that's days. And in some extreme cases, that's weeks. For patients waiting for treatment for their mental health emergency, the ED is not exactly a therapeutic space. There are monitors beeping, patients crying, and a lot of people moving, constantly. The patients stuck boarding in the ED have no autonomy, and worst of all, receive little to no psychiatric treatment. But what if we could change that? I'm Sanya Ali. And I'm Avni Kulkarni. This is While We Wait a podcast series where we tackle the mental health boarding crisis. Through the series, we will explore our fragmented mental health care system in the United States. Boarding is another word for waiting, a delay in care where patients are stuck, often between the emergency room and the next step in treatment. These stories will paint a clear picture of why boarding is not, in fact, a surprising outcome for patients experiencing a mental health emergency. While we wait for solutions, And while patients in crisis wait for help, let's take the time to unpack the reasons for why this is happening. This episode is the last in our series. In previous episodes, we unpacked the roots of the boarding crisis and explored both community-based and crisis response solutions to boarding and other gaps in our mental health care system. But since we started our story in the emergency department, we thought it would be a fitting return to explore what solutions we can implement right here in the place where it all started. People who are in the ERs boarding are ironically the the highest acuity psychiatric patients in any mental health region or system, but also the most underserved. And that's really the thing that drove me to try to really find solutions. That's Dr. Scott Zeller. He's an emergency psychiatrist based in California, and he's definitely an expert on the topic of preventing patients from boarding in the ED. There are six goals in the field of emergency psychiatry, which are also known as Zeller's six goals. So yeah, he knows what he's talking about. So to date, I've seen over 90,000 emergency psychiatric patients, and it's just the most gratifying world that you can imagine to work in. Psychiatry is a medical profession just like cardiology or neurology. In fact, both psychiatrists and neurologists take the same board certification exam instead of two different exams because they both treat the same organ, the brain. Here's Dr. Zeller on more about the differences between psychiatry and other subspecialties like emergency psychiatry. Emergency psychiatry has evolved over the last 40 years or so into a defined subspecialty. A lot of psychiatry, you think of improvement coming very gradually over weeks or months if you're doing private practice that's psychotherapy-based, things like that. If you're even working in an inpatient psychiatric facility, you're talking about days or weeks towards improvement. In emergency psychiatry, we do it in hours. And 
I can't tell you how many times I saw a patient come in very, very distressed, maybe screaming, agonizing. And by the end of my shift, a few hours later, them being very pleased, shaking my hand and we're helping them to get home. And it's it's the most wonderful feeling to see people get better in front of your eyes. And I knew that that was for me. What's particularly incredible about what Dr. Zeller just said is that that change can happen in one shift. As a medical scribe, I got so used to signing over patient charts to the next incoming doctor that I started to wonder why it took so long to treat mental health patients in the ED. Turns out, often these patients weren't really being treated. They were just waiting. The strange thing about it is, is that it's the only emergency condition for which the ER treatment is find them a bed in an inpatient unit. If you come to a hospital with an asthma attack, they're not going to meet you at the door and you're gasping for breath and say, oh, come in we're going to sit you in the back and we're going to try to find an asthma hospital to transfer you to. No, you start treatment right away and, and then people nine times out of 10 are going to get better and they're going to be able to get home. And what we've actually found is that's the same thing for psychiatric patients as well. So if you initiate treatment in the emergency department, you can actually get people a lot better. But there's still been this clinging to the idea that if you come in and you are acute psychiatrically, you need to go to an inpatient facility. Now, some patients may need that inpatient level of care, but others might not. Either way, it makes sense to start emergency treatment right away. But what exactly does that emergency psychiatric treatment look like? And more importantly, how do we know if it works? Like we covered in episode two, there's no blood test or x-ray to confirm when someone is in a psychiatric crisis. But during our interview, Dr. Zeller brought up a good point. There's also no blood test or x-ray for pain. But when a patient complains of pain, we still treat that pain as an urgent medical condition because we all know what it feels like to suffer. Think of a psychiatric emergency as the equivalent of the worst headache you've ever had in your life and how much you would want to get help as quickly as possible. And we know that if we initiate treatment, sometimes that's medication, sometimes that's using calming techniques and de-escalation, sometimes that's just changing the environment and giving people an opportunity to, to relax and just decompress or detoxify or just know that they feel safe and they have an opportunity to get better and we can really see the positive benefits of that but the one thing that we shouldn't be doing is boarding and pushing these folks into the back hallway saying like well there's real real emergencies here and you're fine up next dr zeller's solution to the boarding crisis I kept hearing about, we've got this boarding situation and the solution should be, let's build more inpatient psychiatric beds. And I was looking at what we did in our psychiatric emergency department in Oakland and said, you know, that doesn't make any sense because we should be treating people at the emergency level of care. They're really suffering. Let's not kick the can down the road. There's a better way. You don't have to just hold everybody for inpatient. In 2013, Dr. Zeller introduced the Alameda model, a unique regional program in Alameda County that transfers patients from general hospital EDs to regional psychiatric emergency services. In college, I actually wrote a paper about the Alameda model, so it was cool to hear from Dr. Zeller about how it all came together. I knew that nobody would pay any attention to me unless I had some good data and did a good 
double blind study that could show what could happen. And so we set up a study of area emergency departments and compared that to the rest of the state's metrics. Back then, a patient with a psychiatric emergency boarded on average for 10 hours in a California emergency department. But in Alameda County, the average boarding time was one hour and 45 minutes. That's an 80% reduction in the length of boarding. By initiating emergency psychiatric treatment right away, the Alameda Hospital was able to help over 75% of their patient population get better and go home. With less inpatient psychiatric admissions, more beds became available for patients who really needed that higher level of care. And we were able to publish that data, and, and it was remarkable the, the response that we got. And people around the planet were saying, wow, you're really onto something here. And saying, so you're like, yeah, this is emergency psychiatry. This is what we can do. Let's start working on ways we can apply this to where, where you live. In recent years, the Alameda model has been adapted into a solution that almost any hospital can implement. And that's where we're headed next. Close your eyes and picture this. You're in the emergency room. There are monitors beeping, gurneys rolling across the floor, and it's loud, really loud. Your mind is racing. Your ears are ringing. It's like the worst headache of your entire life, just pounding. And absolutely nothing makes sense. But then, all of a sudden, the noise melts away. You're somewhere else. There are recliners around the perimeter of a large open room, high ceilings and high lights shining through the window. You're free to walk around, and the space almost reminds you of a living room. There are other people here, too. Some watching TV, another reading a book. Someone is dozing off in the corner recliner. One person gets up to go to a private, multicolor sensory room. Then one of the staff members walks up to you. Say, hey, you're going through a tough time. I've been there. Let's get you through this together. You've just experienced a glimpse of what it's like to receive emergency psychiatry care in an empath unit. Empath stands for Emergency Psychiatric Assessment, Treatment, and Healing Service. After patients are medically cleared in the ED, they're transferred to the hospital empath unit for specialized care. The empath unit is not a permanent destination. It's an outpatient hospital service, kind of like the labor and delivery unit, but for mental health. So once a patient enters the hospital through the emergency department, they're medically cleared and then moved to the empath unit, where a team of psychiatrists, behavioral health nurses, psychologists, clinical workers, and peer specialists stabilize that patient and then decide if the patient requires inpatient psychiatric admission, all within a limited 24-hour period of time. So when we first started creating empath units, people were saying, well, you can't put a bunch of people who are this dangerous into a big room where they're all in this group environment. They're going to just, there's going to be fistfights. They're going to tear each other to shreds. And every time there's been one created, everybody ends up talking to us and saying, I just can't. I can't take my jaw off the floor. This, this this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. These these should be this should be a very noisy, disruptive unit, but it's so mellow. 
It's the calmest place I've ever seen. You can hear a pin drop. People are relaxed. People are chilling. People are, are recuperating. I know it sounds too good to be true. Empath units are so radically different from what I or Avni experienced when working in a traditional emergency department. But the important thing here is that the empath unit doesn't skip or replace the emergency department. It just supports it by creating an alternative, more therapeutic space where patients can actually start receiving treatment for their mental health emergency right away. And so what we find is that in about 16 hours, 80% of people in these units who would have been hospitalized previously, we get them better and we are able to get them back home. And in fact, in such a way that they return to the hospital far less than even people who'd gone for a lengthy inpatient stay. Dozens of units have been created across the nation in rural, urban, academic, and community hospitals. Empath units are averaging across the nation only about 1 in 1,000 patients goes into physical restraints who are in empath units. Compare that to 30% in ERs. Not only are they shockingly successful, but they're also cost-effective. With less patients taking up expensive ED resources, the ED can actually treat more patients. You know, emergency psychiatry maybe a long time ago was thought of as something that involved a lot of coercion. And hopefully between things like Alameda model, between empath units, we're changing that whole idea from one of coercion and locked facilities into one of voluntary collaboration, getting people into the least restrictive alternative environment, really focusing on support and healing and getting away from force and coercion. Almost any hospital can make an empath unit if they have a large empty space and the right specialist to staff it. Dr. Zeller shared how he even helped one hospital convert an IT storage room into an empath unit. And while empath units don't directly address a shortage of inpatient psychiatric beds, these units do help connect patients to real treatment faster and ensure that patients aren't needlessly waiting for days or weeks in the emergency department. Empath units are relatively new and just one of the many delivery methods for emergency psychiatric care. Other options include things like telepsychiatry, psychiatric urgent care centers, crisis stabilization units, psychiatric emergency service programs, or dedicated mental health wings of the ED. Each option has its pros and cons, but at the end of the day, these units help fill the critical need for emergency psychiatric medical care. If there's one point you take away from this podcast series, it's that there's no one solution to the mental health boarding crisis. In episode one, we learned that part of the solution is to fill gaps in mental health services, especially for children and people with autism, through state-led initiatives that increase funding and address workforce shortages in behavioral health. In episode two, we met a psychiatrist who works in the ED to help cut down the time it takes for patients to receive specialized care during a mental health crisis. We also heard from an ED physician who hopes that universal suicide screening and intensive follow-ups become the standard of care in the ED. We covered parity laws in episode three and how enforcing equal coverage for mental health and other medical services is key to upending historic disparities in mental health policy that have caused the shortage of inpatient psychiatric beds to begin with. In episode four and five, we learned how new policy initiatives like certified community behavioral health clinics 
are integrating primary care and behavioral health so we can build a safety net of resources instead of solely relying on EDs for mental health services. Different first responders in episode six agreed that new approaches to crisis response that prioritize de-escalation and collaboration with behavioral health specialists, like the STAR and CRT programs we discussed, are necessary to appropriately manage mental health crises in the field. And finally, in this episode, we learned about the novel approaches in the hospital that employ innovative treatment plans like Empath. It is clear now that the path forward to solving the boarding crisis and improving the mental health care system needs solutions that center around empathy. While we wait to implement these solutions and while patients in crisis wait for help, let's take the time to unpack the reasons for what you can do to help. This episode was created by Sonia Lee and me with theme music by Tommy Scanlon. A special thanks to Jeff Byers, Sarah Kolk, and Patty Sweet for their guidance throughout the series. If you would like to learn more about any of the topics that we covered in this episode, please check out our show notes for links to more resources and ways to get involved. Thank you for following us on this journey on While We Wait. Be sure to check out the other podcasts in the Health Affairs Podcast Fellowship Series and leave a review or tell a friend about this series if you enjoyed it. 